Hey there, this is Sean McMahon. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast and thanks for supporting the ministry by lending your ears, your minds, hearts, all that good stuff. Don't be afraid to share this here message with a friend or a family member, even a stranger. Have at. It's not like it's going to bite. These messages are recorded live at the Community Baptist Church of Gayhead and Aquina on Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts, and the good old U.S. of A. If you're ever in town for a visit or suddenly find yourself shipwrecked on the southwest side of our lovely little island, climb up the clay cliffs and come on down to our little old chapel for our weekly 10 a.m. service. No need to wear anything special, just bring your special self. May God bless you. Today's scripture reading is taken from the book of Acts, chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple of God and the Sadducees came up to them, greatly disturbed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in custody until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. The rulers, the elders, and the scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Ananias the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. When they had made the prisoners stand in their midst and inquired, By what power or by what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, If we are questioned today because of the good deed done to someone who is sick and are asked how this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all of the people of Israel that this man is standing before you in good health by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. It has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pop quiz, what am I going to preach to you about today? Fearless, we're fearless witness. Fearless witness. We're going to talk about fearless witness. So St. Peter once said, and I paraphrase, if you receive a beating for doing wrong and you endure it, what good does that do you? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. This is commendable before God. He says that in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. And the same goes for getting arrested. Just like Peter and John were in this passage in Acts 4. Uh, some people, they get arrested for drunk driving. And others for assault and battery or others are embezzlers and they're thieves. Some are murderers, some are committing crimes. Peter and John were arrested for proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. That was their fearless witness, okay? Let's start there. Now, what is the big deal about that? Why on earth would they be arrested for proclaiming in Jesus, 
the resurrection of the dead. Well, if you scroll up, you know, right at the beginning, it was the Sadducees who wanted to have them arrested and who brought in the temple guard, brought the temple police. Sadducees were, were educational leaders. They were, they were a sect, They're right? Pharisees and Sadducees. Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead, period. They didn't teach it. They taught against it. And they were one of the two very powerful teaching sects in this, in this uh, culture. But along come Peter and John. They're, they're preaching in Solomon's colonnade. And they're proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And they're winning hearts and minds. Many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. Those are good numbers. I would hope that one day I could play for 5,000 people. I have not. That's a lot of people. In one day. Winning converts. Uh, the Sadducees, they probably liked to believe that their power and influence was in what they taught, in their teaching. It's probably what they told themselves. But what happens when another teaching comes along that has more power and more authority because it's more true. You would let the most authoritative teaching win, right? Let them duke it out on the, on the virtue of the ideas. That's not what the Sadducees did. They don't appeal to their own teaching in order to out-teach Peter and John. They don't engage in debate. They have the apostles arrested. Now, how much authority do you think your ideas can have when you need to resort to force in order to protect them from the ideas of others. When you personally find yourself in a disagreement, do you talk it out and have a patient debate? Or do you get hot-headed and start name-calling? Do you slam the door and storm out of the room? I've done all those things myself, but not my proudest moments. I'd be willing to wager that most people in the room have done that too. Call it police. Now, all ideas have power, but when we argue, we're arguing about which idea is true, right? That's why we argue. That's not true. I'm right. Because the most powerful idea is the idea that's true. That's what we believe. The one that's most rational, the one that makes most sense, the one that's most logical. The one that's in line with logos, right? Logical, logos. This isn't no small potatoes because even the most petty arguments are trying to drive that truth. We're arguing with our spouse, you know? You're trying to get to the truth. You're digging for it. Even if it's just about whether you took out the trash properly or something. Trying to figure out what's logical in the form of a debate or an argument, it's a, it's a divine thing. It's a special process because it's discernment. You're trying to discern what's in line with logos. And that's the very word, logos, that the Apostle John uses to describe God. God. He says, in the beginning was the word. Logos. In the beginning was logos. 
and Logos was with God, and Logos was God. So when someone says, be logical, listen to my logical argument, they're talking about Logos. John equates that to God. So this, this is true even in the most petty arguments. We're trying to figure out what's in line with Logos. But it goes further up into the elevated heights of philosophical and religious debates, right? So the Sadducees, along with the scribes and Pharisees, they've been through all this type of, of debate before. With Jesus. They had these arguments with Jesus. Mark, in his gospel, notes that the people were astonished at Jesus' teaching because he taught as one who had authority. He taught with authority. The Sadducees, scribes, Pharisees, they tried to engage in debate with Jesus, and he licked them every time. And this bothered them so much that they conspired to have him killed. Killed. So you gotta consider, there's no power in their teaching if they're resorting to the power of force, hoping to eliminate Jesus's ideas by killing him hoping that his teaching would die with him. Well, that's not what happens. Along come Peter and John and Solomon's colonnade, and they're saying, they're, they're proclaiming in Jesus, in Jesus, the resurrection of the dead. They're not just teaching about the resurrection like Jesus was. They're saying that Jesus, Jesus was a fearless witness, so fearless that he was willing to die for his testimony. That Jesus that we're talking about, he is the resurrection. He is risen from the grave. So Jesus didn't just overcome the Sadducees' teaching that there, there is no resurrection with his teachings about the resurrection, but he overcame their actual power by rising again after, after they conspired to have him put to death. That's the power they resorted to, not their teaching. Right? You follow? So he didn't just have authority in his teaching, but as he said, he had the authority to lay down his life and to take it up again. It's a lot of authority. And now, Peter and John, they had 5,000 men and women convinced about their authoritative teaching. But not the Sadducees, they weren't convinced. And they hadn't learned, right? They hadn't learned. They don't bother with debate. They skip right to arrests. And what's interesting here, if, if, you, if you look at it a little further, they, they hold a little trial for Peter and John. So you think, okay, if they're going to have a trial, maybe that means they're up, they're up for a little bit of debate, right? Let's have a trial. Let's debate it in a courtroom. But let's chew on that. Because I don't know about you, but... Last time I got into an argument with, with my little brother about who ate the last chicken nugget, I didn't call the police to duke it out in court. And I didn't even sue him, right? Like, okay, I'll sue you and then we'll talk. No, these guys called the police, had them arrested, right? And maybe, maybe if I had called the police on my brother, like we would have gotten a fair trial and, and figured out, you know, the whole chicken, chicken nugget thing. And actually, if you read on, it seems like that's what's going on in Acts 
4, the Sanhedrin, the, the, the court folk, they're assembled. Peter and John are given a somewhat routine hearing. Um, if you read on, the spoiler alert is that Peter and John are let go. They're let go. Um, and part of that was because the, the, the apostles had just healed a man miraculously. And the Sanhedrin could not find a way to punish them because all the people were glorifying God for what happened. That's what Acts 4.21 says. It's hard to argue with a crowd that just saw a miracle. Can't punish those dudes. Everyone would go nuts, right? So that's not the worst ending for, for Peter and John, right? They got, a, they got a fair trial, right? They were let go. Fair sentence, right? Mm. Kind of. It seems like it for now, right? And let's just start with this. The first question is, why was this necessary? Why did you have to arrest these guys for this? Why were these men who were doing good deeds, miraculous deeds, they were arrested and put in trial for their speech, for the things they were teaching, for the things they were saying, arrested and put on trial. And we all know that Peter would eventually be killed for this. He'd be crucified upside down for this eventually. And I'm sure we can all agree that that's wrong. But, but just starting here with this one incident, what about this? Isn't this arrest a bit much? Isn't it a bit wrong? Isn't it a little fearful for just some speech? Right? So why were the consequences of their witness so fearful that it was necessary for Peter and John to be fearless witnesses. All right? So, story time. Here's an anecdote from your pastor. When I was in eighth grade, I had a brush with fearful consequences at school. Right? It was at the big uh, annual variety show with my rock band, my first ever rock band. And we were going to play this song by the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and it was the hit that year. It was called Californication. So a week before the show, I know where your mind is if you're giggling about that name. A week before the show, um, which was the first performance of my life, this would be the first time I'd go on stage with a guitar and start singing in front of my peers. It's terrifying. But our, our vice pr principal's voice came on the intercom and said, Sean McMahon, can you come to the office, please? And I sat down in front of her and she said, Sean? When you perform this song, I want you to change the lyrics. And I said, okay, no problem. Which ones? And she said, the word Californication. You have to change that. And I scratched my naive 11, 12-year-old head. I, I said, that's the name of the song, though. That's the main lyric. I, I, why should I have to do that? That doesn't make sense. And she said, it's vulgar. It's vulgar. And I had no clue. I didn't know why. I, I said, how so? And she explained, this middle-aged woman, when I was 11 years old, explains to me what fornication is. In detail. In detail. She talks about sex ed classes. You know, she, in detail. And I was shocked. I was shocked. It was, it was practically pornographic what she was describing to me. And I was 11 years old, I think. I was scandalized. I would never sing about vulgar things. 
especially in front of my younger classmates. I was in eighth grade. The youngest class was fifth grade. I would never be caught dead doing anything like that. And I felt like she was putting that bad kid stigma on me, you know? I would never do anything like that. I would never sing about that stuff. I was totally embarrassed and flustered and mortified. And of course, I immediately agreed. Of course, I would never sing anything like that. I won't do that, don't worry. I'm not gonna sing that filthy word. And then I bolted out of the door. <laughs> but later, later that week, you know, just a few days before show, showtime, I'm drilling the lyrics into my head and I'm, I'm trying to memorize them. And something happened. I learned something that every song interpreter needs to learn. I learned the meaning of the lyrics. I learned the message of the song as I was memorizing them. And the, the song, in my interpretation, it was, it was a warning against the type of pornographic lifestyle and things that my vice principal was describing to me in that office. Not an advertisement for it, not an endorsement of it. It was, it was a warning against it. So I, I asked her for a second hearing and I explained my case. I said, I think Californication is, is a play on the word fornication which is a sin in the Bible, right? I don't know if I really said that, I'm paraphrasing. But what I thought is that it's talking about California-cation, you know? Um, commodifying the world, making the world fornicate and, and, and trying to seduce it into the allure of Hollywood and all the hidden dangers that lurk behind that, right? It's a song about trying to help us not be Californified. That's That's how I looked at it. And I, I thought the spelling was just kind of like happenstance, you know. And um, further, I, I thought that the message was important and that my classmates needed to hear it. And she said, if, if your classmates hear that word, you will be suspended. <laughs> and that was that. And that's what happened. I went up there and I sang the song as it was and I got a standing ovation. And after we all turned to our classrooms, I get beckoned back to the vice principal. And I'll never forget this because all the kids were leaning out of the classroom doors, like, you know, all of them. And they were gawking at me and some were cheering me on as I, as I walked, you know, towards Golgotha, it seemed, you know, towards Calgary. What's that? That green mile. The green mile, yeah. And I felt, to be honest, I felt ashamed. I felt ashamed because I'd never done anything rebellious in my life and I'd never gotten in trouble like this, you know? But I was also kind of proud. I was kind of proud of myself and I felt triumphant because I had done what I felt was right. And it was a sense of satisfaction in my heart that eclipsed even the positive social response that I was getting. I was getting cheered on, right? Uh, but it wasn't popularity or peer support that made me feel good the way I was feeling then, that made me feel proud and triumphant. It was the good feeling that comes when courage and conviction are satisfied by taking action. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? I got a taste of the glory of fearless witness at the age of 11, singing a song by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And my vice principal looks at me from across the desk and she says, you're suspended, you're suspended. But I remember thinking, that's something. I think you should be suspended. How could she suspend me for saying something she thinks is wrong, 
but I can't suspend her for being wrong about it, because that's how I felt. Now that is the question at the heart of every revolution that has ever scourged the earth in our world's history. And some, you know, like the great founding fathers of every nation, they fight back and suspend the suspender, but I didn't. I just took my punishment. There would be no revolution for me. I got suspended and enjoyed my day off. But I comforted myself knowing that I took a stand and communicated a message, a moral message, and my peers received it and they took it to heart. They knew I put myself on the line for a reason, you know? And I felt proud of that. And I didn't care that I was being punished for it. Uh, my punishment felt like a reward. The vice principal kind of looked bad for punishing me, but I, I looked better, you know? Taking a punishment, I, it was like I was demonstrating my, my willingness to accept fearful consequences for making a fearless witness, you know? And it also made me more fearless, you know? So I think that in so doing that, that made my message carry more authority, you know? It's, it's such a temptation with Dad here, to, with us today, to ask him how, how this went down at home afterwards. Um, my, my grandma was in the audience and she clapped. She was proud of me. Amen. My folks were proud. Amen. Now my vice president, she was the builder and I was the stone she rejected. And what happened, what, what was happening is the other stones were the other students and they all rallied around me and made me the cornerstone of the school for a day, you know? Um, and we became more fortified in this common bond than we could have been in this bond that the vice principal was trying to create with her rules and her discipline and, and her teachings. And for a brief, glorious moment, I was the cornerstone of my school. And it felt great, you know? Um, but I'm not going to compare myself to Jesus, the, the cornerstone of the church, the kingdom of God. I did what I felt was right, but I did break the rules. Totally. Totally broke the rules. And I took a just punishment. And like Peter said, if you get punished for doing wrong, what good does that do you? So it was a little bit of both. I definitely did wrong. I did say a scandalous word. I thought I was right, but I did say a scandalous word. If you get punished for doing wrong, what good does that do you? But Peter also said, if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not dread what they dread. And he's quoting that stuff we said earlier in our responsive reading. He's quoting Isaiah 8:12. Do not call conspiracy everything these people regard as conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear. Do not live in dread. And he's saying, don't see the worst in things. Don't only see fornication in Californication. Don't waste your time looking at things like that. Look at the big picture. Look at God. Look at, look at things the way God sees them. Try to see through his eyes. The Lord of hosts is the one you should regard as holy. Only he is to be feared. Only he should be dreaded. And he will be a sanctuary for you. 
Now let's dive deep into another controversy. I have a, I have a good friend who sends me articles about how COVID-19 is fake. It's a complete hoax. So he's not afraid at all of COVID-19, but he's afraid of the vaccine. He's terrified of the vaccine. Now, everyone thinks he's a conspiracy theorist, but he thinks everyone else is a conspiracy theorist. So I just got to think, how about they all just split the difference and listen to what Isaiah says. He says, do not call conspiracy everything these people regard as conspiracy. He might not fear COVID-19 the way the rest of the world does, because to him it's a hoax. Is that fearless witness? No. He does fear whoever he thinks is perpetuating the hoax, right? He calls it the New World Order. And whether he thinks of it this way or not, he might fault people who fear and spread fear about COVID-19, but he spreads fear too. He wants everyone to be as afraid of what he's afraid of. He thinks you're stupid if you're not afraid of it too. He wants you to be afraid of the vaccine or the new world order and all that stuff. Now, I don't see my friends spreading much hope right now. We have good conversations about this. Because I don't think he has much hope for himself. But he has that in common with a lot of folks he calls conspiracy theorists. The, the folks that he says are paralyzed by fear of COVID-19. Both parties are fearful, lack hope. Now, everyone has a doppelganger and they're opposite, right? So it's, it's inevitable that my friend singles someone out in his life who he's, he calls a Karen. You heard that one? He's a Karen. She's a Karen. Uh, or a COVID Nazi. Someone who is terrified of COVID and wants to make everyone around them like super afraid or punish them for not being afraid of it, right? And I say that both parties here being described are equally in need of getting right with these, with these words of God in Isaiah. Do not call conspiracy everything these people regard as conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear, but also do not live in dread of what you fear, right? Only God is to be feared and to be dreaded, but he will be a sanctuary. Your shelter, he will be your fortress. He'll be your hope when you don't have any other. He says, fear not death, for he is the resurrection. So this, this, is, this whole pandemic this year has been a great challenge, you know, and that's why I always say, let's not make it a zero-sum game because there are innovative solutions to all the, the barriers we've been going through. You know, when, when churches closed down, we just went outside. We went outside. Well, after they technically opened up, but we went outside and that's like one of the paths open to us. So instead of making conspiracy, everything, what everyone says, you know, we try to innovate solutions and just find the path, worship God, put God first. We, we have this challenge to be fearless. So whether it's, it's COVID or the vaccine or the new world order, you know, if you want to look at what people call conspiracies, if it's these things, or what the Bible calls powers and principalities, rulers and authorities, spiritual wickedness in high places. We're still meant to be fearless because our spirit is not fear. Our spirit is courage. We, we take heart. That's what take heart means in the Bible. Courage, have courage. 
It's the same root words, you know, core or heart. Jesus commands his disciples, commands, always says throughout the Gospels, he says, be not afraid, take heart, be courageous. And so I would say this to the, to the great uh, cornucopia of people out, perhaps not in, in our congregation, I don't know, but definitely out in the world, I would say this to the, to the folks who are terrified, paralyzed by fear of COVID. This is what Jesus has to say about sickness. He says, you're going to lay your hands on the sick and they will be made well. You're going to do that so that they may be made well. And if there's anyone afraid of a vaccine, if you feel it's a poison, first of all, I'd like to remind those people that you get to choose whether you take it or not, right? Problem solved right then and there. If for some reason that were to change, as my friend does, and your power of choice were taken away, this is what Jesus has to say about poison. He says, if you drink a deadly poison, it will not harm you. And if getting a vaccine shot for you is as terrifying as a poisonous snake, Jesus said, you'll pick up serpents in safety. And even though St. Paul was bitten by a deadly snake, he didn't die. Do we have the promise? Are we the apostles? All I know is we're taught to be fearless. And to look at our, our bodies as wondrous miracles that God has given us. We don't know what they're capable of. So whether it's COVID or whether it's a vaccine you're afraid of, yeah, trust God. And to folks afraid of people in power, people in power of rulers and authorities and wickedness in high places, Jesus says, well, when they hand you over, don't worry about how to respond or what you're going to say. In that hour, you'll be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Doesn't sound like he's asking you to be afraid. It sounds like he's telling you to not be. And even in the worst case, if you fear worse suffering for anything, right? He says, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. If you're about to suffer. I tell you, the enemy will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution. Be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you life as your victor's crown. So am I telling you to seek this crown of martyrdom and to die for Christ? I'm telling you to live for Christ and he tells you not to be afraid. No matter what, whether it's sickness or whether it's, it's um, arrest, or whether it's persecution, or even suffering to the point of death. And as I've said before, many, many times, to live for Christ is to love as Christ loved. And to know this love is to know God, since God is love, and the knowledge of this truth is what's gonna set you free. So is there any fear in freedom? The Bible has something to say about this. No. True freedom comes from God's love, and God's love is perfect. Perfect love casts out all fear. There you go. So if you want to know how to be a fearless witness, you got to know how to cast out all fear. Perfect love does that. So in all these things I describe, you know, whether it's singing Californication in school, whether, whether, whether it's 
I don't, you know, need a vaccine or I'm terrified of COVID, you know, and all these things, whatever, whatever way you're called to be fearless, the law of liberty applies. As St. Paul says, each person needs to be fully convinced in his own mind. You got to have your own sense of integrity about this and, and, and say and feel as Martin Luther did, here I stand, I can do no other. So help me God, right? Because you looked at all the possibilities. But I just got to say, of what value is a conviction like that if it's full of fear, if it's informed by fear, and if it breeds and tries to spread fear? That's not the spirit of God. That's not the spirit of God. Love is. Love is. And where there's love, where there's perfect love, there's no fear because fear has been cast out by love. Fearless witness is the witness of the love of God in the good news. It's exactly how the author of Acts described the fearless witness of Peter and John. It is proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Amen? Amen. Amen. And that's all I have to say about that. Thank you for listening to the Sean McMahon Podcast. Visit SeanSellickMcMahon.com for more information about his ministry. For more about Sean's music, please visit WorkmanSong.com.